Happy Thanksgiving. I know it's over, but hey, mine was good. Was yours good? Oh man, really. I'm thankful to God for a lot of things. Um, really, th- I'm thankful for testosterone in my house. Finally, can I just be honest? We, I mean, I'm not kidding. We played football on Thanksgiving afternoon for the first time ever in my family's history. I finally have a son-in-law. I have a daughter's boyfriend. I've got a brother-in-law. And we're like, dude, let's play football. Yeah, all right, we finally did it. We didn't have to watch Little House on the Prairie's Christmas special or something. We could go play football and Call of Duty in my basement. It was awesome. It was great. I hope yours was good. We, uh, we're, we're, we're getting ready to start a new sermon series next weekend. I hope that um, you'll be back for this. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas all over the place, and especially here. Christmas is the untold story is what I'm going to be doing. You've got an insert in your bulletin uh, that kind of tells a little bit about it. I'm going to be talking about some of the background stuff, not, not the stuff that you know about, but some of the background stuff, a war story, a political story, a love story, a never-ending story, and a family story, some of this background stuff that isn't the stuff that's normal to you. Um, we're going to have Christmas Eve services starting on Thursday night, Three on Friday, three on Saturday here at Orland, and then there's also three over at Lockport Campus. So I wanted you to get a hold of that right now and start planning ahead for the ones that you're going to come and invite your family and friends to come to. It's always a big event for us, Trans-Siberian Orchestra type or you know opener and all the stuff that we do. It'll all be going on, new song this year, a lot of great stuff, so be here for that. It's also the time when we think a little bit more, I think, as a culture about the less fortunate. And, um, and so we have some Christmas giving opportunities for you out there. You can go out. Uh, we've got uh, opportunities to, to, to minister to people, to give gifts. If you're out shopping and you get an extra gift for a kid that's not going to get one. And service opportunities. At the end of the service, I'm going to show you the very first cannonball splash we made actually this week with uh, 300 meals being served down in Inglewood at Urban Youth Ministry. Uh, on Thanksgiving Day by some of our people. I'm going to show you the video for that at the end. There are more of those kinds of things available for you and your family to do something for somebody else because that's really what this was all about, right? It's Jesus' birthday. We're supposed to give a cup of cold water in His name. That's what this is supposed to be. Uh, Also, because we're going to have... You know, 11 or 12,000 people here. We're going to have a lot of extra people Christmas Eve. If you could help us out by volunteering to be uh, involved in uh, to help with children or help with the parking lot or help being an usher. Uh, there's so many other needs that we have during those Christmas Eve times. We'd love to get you signed up for that. Cannonball is going really, really well. It's really encouraging. I can't give you numbers yet. I'm going to do that next weekend. Um, we still are figuring some things out. And honestly, we know that 30 to 50% of our people aren't here on an average weekend. So we know that there are some of you that weren't here last weekend that are part of Parkview, and we're hoping that today there's a commitment card actually still in front of you in the chair back. If you have not jumped in on Cannonball, I want to really encourage you to do this because we need you. We need everybody in on this. Um, if, you're, if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it because you haven't been here. But for the last five weeks, we've been talking about this splash that we're going to make. A two-year commitment. All we really need from you is a name and address and a two-year commitment of what you and God are going to do uh, for, to help us jump in and make waves by doing, expanding the, the borders of this place and making waves out into the uttermost parts of the world and for eternity. I mean, this is really important and we still really, really need you to jump in. So when we do the offering at the end, I mean, we're not going to do like we did last week, but we're going to give you a little extra time to be praying and thinking about jumping in with us and doing the cannonball. And also next weekend, 
will be the first splash. Okay, so we thought we'd kick this off. If you've got stored resources, if you're going to be giving a a chunk at at one time and you want to get it in on this tax year and all those kinds of things, we really want to have the largest offering we've ever had next weekend. We want to try to get all of us to get a jump start on this because the sooner we get it in, the sooner we're able to go out and uh, and make a cannonball. So I want to encourage you with that. Uh, Throw your commitment card in the offering at the end of the service and think about the first splash next week. Here's the Dave Dravecki intro video, and then we'll have him out. Welcome Dave Dravecki for me. Thank you. One more time, baby. Here you go, baby. One more time. <laughs> Man, thank you very much. We, we've really had a lot of fun. Um, 24 hours, I made a new friend. It's, a, it's been a blast. And uh, just so you know, right up front, um, he's comfortable with the whole thing, okay? If I make like a... Monty Python joke, it's just a flesh wound or something, it's okay. He's comfortable with it, all right? You've got to add that That's to your good. repertoire. I know. Um, tell, you know, tell them about it, you know, because there's kids in the back, you know, the kids, the kids are like, what happened to your arm? I mean, and, and your instant thing is, oh, oh, that's awkward, but he's, he's comfortable with it. He's here to talk about the whole thing. Um, tell us some of those fun stories along the way. Well, one was uh, someone asked, one of the kids asked me in the back, and they said, hey, where's your arm? And I said, I, um, somebody took it. And, it, and it was that guy right there. He did it. <laughs> he was like, and, he, and so, he's, so Tim stands up and goes, can't you see? I got three arms. <laughs> like, you guys have a nut for a pastor. But he's I a good that. nut. He's a cola nut. I know that. A cola nut. He's a cola nut. <laughs> a good nut, man. You know, I hope uh, if you would give me the liberty of about 30 seconds here, I would like to uh, deviate just from responding to Bears what I'm doing now. Three. Okay. <laughs> but so is your flight. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say it has been wonderful being here. Good. Um, I have enjoyed so much. Your pastor has made me feel so much at home. And I would happen to believe that if he can make me feel at home, I can only imagine what he does for you each weekend, making you feel like this is home for you. you. And so it's been a privilege to be a part of this. It really has, Tim. Um, That's what it's supposed to be. Well, this and you home. know, I, I go, I, I travel home, and I, I do a lot of this all over the country, and there are many times when I travel home and I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go home being fueled Good. and filled up. And so, thank you. You're welcome. Uh, it's thank just you been a, here, a wonderful man. gift. So, to respond to your question that I don't remember. Um, Fun stories about having one arm. <laughs> Fun there's stories a, about having... <laughs> there's a great way to start a joke. Uh, Fun stories about having one arm. Well, one of the things that I've enjoyed doing over the years, um, and, and I wasn't very good at it, but it was playing golf. Um, but it got to the point with two arms where I was really frustrated because I had a nasty hook and a nasty slice. And then I became an amputee. And I got rid of the hook and the slice. Now, I'm not, well, maybe, maybe I am here to suggest that if you have a bad hook yeah, or slice, you might, might want to go the route of being an amputee. <laughs> it might help um, me. You know, I, what else do you enjoy doing? I love riding motorcycles. Yeah. Um, I bought a Harley Davidson, an 05 Road Glide that I converted to a trike. And you talk about throaty. Oh, mama mia, is that baby. <laughs> a lot of noise coming down the Got highway. Got a left foot clutch and, and rides all over. Pretty um, cool. Tip, huh? Tiptronic shifter with two buttons on the throttle that I just roll up to and hit, and we're yeah. good to go. Um, the other thing I love to do is I, I, I've really enjoyed fishing, and it's been a huge challenge since becoming an amputee. 
So, um, you know, one day I happened to be out um, shopping and I was at a sporting goods store and I wanted to expand my knowledge. wanted to learn as much as I could about this newfound love. And I walked into the fish and tackle department and I was checking some items out on display. Happened to go up to the counter where there were some things under the glass and I was checking them out and all of a sudden out from behind the counter came this young man and he just stared at me. <laughs> and I get a lot of stares because yeah. my left arm and shoulder are gone. But once he got over those, he said, sir, do you mind if I ask you a question? I said, no, go right ahead. He said, tell me, do you fish? I said, well, if I didn't fish, I wouldn't be here. He said, well, then how in the world do you do it? And I said, well, I take the pole in my right hand. I take the pole in my right hand. For obvious reasons, ladies and gentlemen. It's the only one I got. Cast the line into the water, throw the pole up underneath my armpit, squeeze real tight, and start reeling like crazy. And this kid's jaw about dropped, and you can imagine what he was thinking. How in the world can anyone catch fish like that? Well, you know what his next question was? Have you ever caught any fish? <laughs> and you don't know how pleased I was to announce to him that I had just returned from Alaska where I caught a red salmon this big. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I love telling that story, man. All, man. I've got so much mileage out of that thing, yeah, it's not funny. I know, I know. you got to work Monty Python in, though, I'm telling you. I know. Somewhere to. along the line, I'll figure that one um, out for you, and then I'll send it to you for permission, and we'll go yeah, from there. right, right. Um, one of the lessons that I've learned through all of this, um, doesn't it feel good to laugh? Mm -hmm. I've discovered that laughter is healing to the soul. You know, there was a time in my life where things were really hard. And I still have my difficult days. And when someone can come into my world and help me laugh, which allows me to cope a little bit better with what I'm going through, I welcome that. And so I appreciate those good friends mm. that uh, can make me laugh. You know, and every now and then I'll throw on What About Bob and get a really good <laughs> laugh in. Um, so, yeah, baby steps, man. I just love that movie. <laughs> All i got to do is look at Bill Murray and laugh. Exactly you know, who right. else does that to me? What's a white-haired guy? Steve Martin. Steve Martin, yeah. Absolutely. yeah. He's, yeah. That goes to show you what I know. Yeah. You know. What's a white-haired guy? Well, I can equate with that. Um, yeah, Steve Martin's, Every uh, time. he does the same thing. And you know who else does? Um, what's his, is Cedric, the barbershop guy? Uh, what's his name? Cedric the Entertainer? Yes. He's hilarious. Yeah. I, all I do is look at him and start laughing because <laughs> I think of all the scenes in the barbershop. And it's just hilarious. Well, anyway, you anyway. get the point. Laughter's healing to it the is. soul. It is. Yeah. Christmas isn't Christmas without Christmas vacation. I'm telling you right now. Yeah. I've already watched yeah. it. Yeah. Um, it, it has Absolutely. to happen. Absolutely. Um, tell us. We should talk about baseball because that's like applicable. Um, you grew up in Ohio. Went to Youngstown State. Uh, had a good high school career. Good college career. Got drafted in 21st the twenty-first round. Twenty-first round, which means who knows what's going to happen. Um, you know, there's yeah. a lot of a lot of people playing baseball. A lot of people playing minor league baseball. Vast majority of them don't don't make it up. Tell us about well, the beginning of your career. Needless to say, I was not a bonus baby. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 21st round, they offered me a cup of coffee. Yeah. And it was a bad cup of coffee. And I found out all these guys were getting incentives in their contract, yeah. and I was like, yeah. "What's that?" Yeah, there's incentives? a guy in the room that got one of those. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so. Anyway, I was there and I started my career, though. All I wanted was a chance to play. And now I was a professional baseball player. I could care less what the bonus money was, even how much they paid me. Matter of fact, 
Um, my first season in minor league ball was for nine weeks. I was making 500 bucks a month, so you can figure out what my income was. Yeah. And I was so thankful that I was able to supplement my wife's income. That's about all you could do, right? Yep, that was yeah. about all I could do. But yeah. three years I was in the Pirates organization. Had a wonderful experience as a minor league ball player. 1981, I was traded from Pittsburgh to uh, San Diego, and I was shipped off to Amarillo, Texas, where I played for the Gold Sox, double-A baseball. And that year was an amazing year. A lot of wonderful things, obviously, happening. I signed to play. Now I'm with the Padres, young organization, great opportunity. That year in Amarillo, I was 15-5. and five. I selected the minor league pitcher of the year, and, and, and life was just amazing. And uh, I'll never forget my roommate, Byron Ballard, as long as I live. He's in my Hall of Fame. The guy's never sniffed the big leagues. Mm -hmm. And uh, that year, he was my roommate and teammate, and, and he challenged me at that point in my life on the journey spiritually. And he said, I want you to read the Bible, and, and I want you to ask a very important question. Who are you in relationship to God? Because you see, up to that point... I was a good Catholic boy. I was raised in the Catholic Church. I had a great foundation that was laid because I really do believe that, that my Catholic upbringing helped me be open to the challenge of yeah. opening that book up called the Bible and start reading it for myself. Yeah. And, um, and so my only problem was I saw God as somebody off in the distance that you couldn't get close to. And, and, and so he was this big granddaddy that blessed you when you were good and punished you when you were bad. Mm. Now, all of a sudden, as I'm reading the scriptures and asking questions to Byron, I'm coming face to face with a personal God. Um, so personal that he sent his only son. He, he came to this earth in the form of a man. And, and he dies on the cross so that I could have life. And I was blown away by this story that I was reading in the Bible, which is the greatest story in the universe. And, and I liken it to the way a pastor friend of mine describes it. Um, I used to go to a church in Colorado Springs. We now live in Denver. But while we were there, he periodically would give this message about, uh, you know, this whole idea of coming to faith in Christ. And he talks about that we're desperate. We're desperate people. And, and I don't think there's anybody here that would deny the reality of our desperation as sinners. We are desperate people. And in that state of sin, I was desperate because I really didn't, I came to understand I really didn't have fellowship with God. But in my desperation, God intervened through His Son, Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, when you take our desperation and you add God's intervention through Jesus, it equals amazing grace. And that summer, I came face to face with God's amazing grace through His Son, Jesus Christ. And my wife and I simply confessed our sin, asked Jesus to come into our heart and live and made a commitment to live from that day forward mm. for Him. Mm. And, and that was my born-again experience, but it was the most incredible thing. Here I am in 1981 with all this cool stuff going on around baseball, and the greatest thing in the universe enters into my life, into my world, yeah. and His name is Jesus. And, and then 1982, I get called up to the big leagues. You know, now I'm a big leaguer. I'm wearing that Padre uniform. You know, the first day I put that uniform on, Tim, my dream came true. The next seven years and 115 days were icing on the cake. Yeah. Because I was a big leaguer. 1983, I'm in an all-star game. Yeah. You know, what's a guy from Youngstown, Ohio doing in an all-star game? Went from the 21st round draft to the all-star game. I mean, it was just an incredible experience. There I was with Johnny Bench and Pete Rose and yeah. George Brett and Freddie Lynn, which, by the way, I struck them out. And we did that over... 
I did that, by the way, over here at uh, Kaminsky Old Park. Kaminsky. Old yep. Kaminsky. Yep. In 1983, the 50th anniversary of the All-Star Game. So a great honor. 1984, we go to the World Series. Padres up again. Nobody expected. The, as a matter of fact, the Cubs were supposed to go. That was it. Sorry. All you Cub fans out there, but that was the year that you were supposed to go and we ended up beating you. And I get to the World Series and the Detroit Tigers just kicked our heinies. And I discovered a very important truth, though. The losers get a really nice ring, too. And I actually possess two losers rings that I'm really proud of. So from there, I go from the last place Padres in 1987 to the first place San Francisco Giants. And we go on to postseason play against the Cardinals that year. We didn't make it to the World Series, but I pitched the two best games of my career, setting the stage for 1988. Yeah. I mean, it's just an amazing time. So my, this is the journey, you know, Youngstown, Ohio, faith background, 1981, you find Jesus. Parenthetical, um, let me throw this in because this is funny. I promise I forgot when I booked Dave to come in. Yeah. My uncle baptized him in 1981 in Amarillo, Texas. Is that not crazy? Yeah. I know. Yeah, awesome. it's really cool. When I when I found out when I found out yesterday um, that Roy Wheeler is his uncle, I, I just uh, it was amazing. Yeah, because, we called him last night. Yeah, he's, he, meant, he's still he alive. means the world to me. He's 80 years old now, and we talked on the phone and. Um, August 27th of 1981, I will never forget that day because that was the day that Roy baptized yeah. my, my wife and I together. We began the journey of faith. Well, there's and a bunch of people really in here that have done that. We, yeah. A couple of years ago, we did 701 day and we just did oh. 235 a couple of weeks ago. And there's a bunch yeah. of people in here that are that are there. And if you haven't done it, come on in. The water's fine. Um, the uh, <laughs> the uh, warm is a story. It's always warm. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, the, the story then goes from then, then it, so, so we're up to 1988. Um, you're with the Giants. You are the opening day pitcher against Fernando Valenzuela at yeah. Dodger Stadium. I yeah. mean, come on, you got to baseball people. You got us. You got to get a hold of all this, okay? 21st round to All Star Game to opening day. Blah blah blah. Great season in 1988 yeah. for most of it. Yeah. Opened up beating the Dodgers 5-1, to one, thinking I'm going to win 20 games that year. And then by September of 1988, a small lump on my arm is developed into half the size of a golf ball. And the doctors are preparing to examine that to make sure that, uh, you know, it was okay, which obviously it wasn't. But I'll never forget Jan and I sitting in the examining room. And uh, the doctors were on the outside of the door. It was cracked open a little bit. And they were throwing the films up underneath the lights to check the MRI out prior to coming in to talk to us about what they had diagnosed. And for the first time, up to that point, we thought it was scar tissue. Mm. For the first time, we heard the word tumor on the outside of the door. And I was like, whoa, what is going on? And I'll never forget looking at Jan and saying, you know what, we need to pray. And I don't, I don't wax eloquently when I pray. I am a simple prayer, um, uh, K-I-S-S, keep it simple, right, stupid. Right, right. And that's what I do. And so I looked at my wife and I just said, God, um, we have no idea what we're about to face. Um, and we don't know what the future holds, what's going on here, but whatever it is, give us the strength to endure this journey. And that was my prayer. Doctors came in and said, Dave, you do in fact have cancer. We're going to have to do surgery. And that's going to mean 
that outside of a miracle, you will never pitch again. I remember my wife asking him to repeat that three times. I don't know why, but she did. Mm. And needless to say, at that point, there were a lot of emotions going through my mind. Yeah. A lot of stuff. Outside of a miracle, you'll never pitch again. Yeah. And all I was thinking about was, I could care less about pitching. I want to live. Yeah. I'm 32 years old, and I'm face-to-face with my own mortality. And now there's stuff going on in my mind that, oh, Lord, if I die from this disease, somebody else is going to come along and marry my wife. Yeah. Going to be the father of my children. And on top of that, that jerk is going to sleep in my bed next to my wife. And, and I mean, folks, I mean, we can laugh at that, and I can even laugh yeah, at it. Yeah. But, but in that reality. moment, scared the living daylights out of me. And I got a gut check because I sat there and I thought, will this person, whoever it is, love my wife and kids as much as I do? But then I had to push the button a little bit harder because I realized at that moment, maybe he will love them more than I do. Because I know who I am. I know who I am when I wake up in the morning and I go and I stand in front of that mirror. And I haven't been the best husband and I haven't been the best dad. Mm. And I'm a Christian. And so it was a gut check. God really did put things in perspective for me and to help me understand the importance of not what I do, but the relationships that I have, which was critical at that point. And that was scary. It probably probably wouldn't be a bad thing for all of us to have a mortality check every once in a while to get the opportunity to think about, you know, who we are and what we're really supposed to be about. I mean, I, I hope that we do that at communion every week but you know i mean there's an opportunity there for you to think about what god really who god really wants you to be and i I just need to say this up front you you're get you're getting this story because some of you are getting mortality checks right now uh you you've got a marriage is blowing up you've got health situations you've lost a job um you know what happens to you along the way that that mortality check for you is an opportunity to get bitter or get better, as Rick Warren says. You you can allow that to draw you closer to God or farther away from God, and that's why I brought Dave in. That's why we came. That's why he came in on Thanksgiving weekend. I wanted you to have him here because some of you may be going. You know what? I didn't, I didn't find a whole lot to be thankful for this year, um, and I, and I understand that. Um, Dave understands that. This is a, this is a point where you got to say. Okay, cancer. This is not what I'm supposed to be the all-star, and now it's cancer. Talk mm. us through, uh, talk us through the, the, the miracle, okay? Yeah. So the miracle happens, which I think probably almost had to have made it harder because the miracle happened and you were able to come back. Yeah, yeah, it was incredible. I mean, there were a lot of peaks and valleys along the way over yeah. that 10-month period. Yeah. But in the end, on August 10th, 1989, I'm standing on the mound and... and and, the, you know, hearing the doctors say, outside of a miracle, you'll never pitch again. And I'm getting ready to throw the first pitch against Cincinnati Reds yeah. and go on to a victory against the Reds where I throw eight innings. Yeah. You know, I mean, nobody expected me to throw eight innings. Nobody expected me to, to, to throw more than 50 pitches. And I end up throwing 93 pitches and we go on to win. If you were alive in that day, if you were a, if you were a baseball guy, you remember that day. I mean, everybody, everybody was a giant. There wasn't a Cincinnati Reds fan in the world because it was such an underdog comeback story that uh, it yeah. was just incredible yeah it was it was really an amazing moment and you know i remember i remember driving to the ballpark that morning yeah. and 
and I put in the uh, the cassette. <laughs> you guys remember the cassettes? And I stuck that cassette tape in, and and it was a Maranatha uh, cassette tape, and 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 all of a sudden, give thanks comes on the, the, as the song, mm-hmm. and I just thought, God, you know, this is so appropriate. I have so much to be thankful for. I mean, I, I think about this weekend, and even now, it's a reminder for me during Thanksgiving right. um, that I have got so much to be thankful for. And here I was, standing on the mound now, after listening to that song about a half a dozen times, and I'm singing that song, Give thanks with a grateful heart. And, and I'm like, God, this is amazing. Then we go on to win, and, you know, and, and, and life is good again. Yeah. You know, I've gotten over this. I've, I'm victorious. Right. You know, I'm on the mountaintop, and yeah. Dave's getting ready to go to Montreal, and five days later I'm going to pitch again, and, you know, and life is good, and I'm, gonna, I'm at the end of a contract, a two-year contract, and trust me, I'm going to play that card when yeah. we get to contract negotiations, yeah. you know, the cancer card, and <laughs> hopefully I'm going to get a good deal out of this, you know. And, uh, and the next thing you know, I'm, I'm five innings, I'm cruising, and life is good, and, you know, I'm, I'm pitching really well in the sixth inning. I rear back to throw a fastball to Tim Raines, and my left arm snaps in half, and I go fall into the ground, as you guys saw in the video. And, and that was a really, really painful time, obviously. But some in really interesting way. things happened around that because, you know, after the game, the comeback game, I was in a press conference with probably about 100 reporters. And everybody's waiting for, you know, everybody to pull in, come in and settle down. And then they were going to start asking me questions. But there was this moment of silence. And I thought in this moment of silence, you know what, I'm going to ask them if they would give me permission to basically say a few words before they start the conference. And so I just said, you know, I know you people, you all know that I'm a Christian. It's been publicized well through your writing. I just want to take time to thank God for what he is up to and doing in my life through this comeback. And I want to give Jesus all the glory. Okay, yeah. what questions yeah, do awesome. you have? You know? Yeah, no, it was so, awesome. So it was, it was really cool. And they began to ask questions about baseball. And, and folks, I want you to know something. When they asked me about a curveball, I didn't talk to them more about God. I told them about the curveball. Okay? So now, fast forward, I've got this broken arm. And five hours before that game, I was with Bob Nepper having lunch. And we were talking about that wonderful event that had just taken place called the comeback game. And he looks at me and he says, I hate to burst your bubble, but it's not the miracle of the comeback that's so important here. It's the miracle of salvation that occurred in your life in Amarillo, Texas. Mm. And God is giving you a platform through baseball to share His love with those who hurt. What? See, that's really nice, Bob, but I'm playing ball. (laughs) You know, I'm playing ball. We go out. I throw the pitch. My arm breaks. Whose words do you think I keep hearing over and over in my head? God is giving you a platform through baseball to share His love with those who hurt. And I realize for the first time that God was up to something so much bigger yeah. than baseball. But, um, you know, before I discovered what that was, I had to go deeper into the valley. And you know what was really amazing? Remember the press conference I had mm. after the comeback game? They asked me to have another press conference after I had broken my arm. The next morning I got up and I went to that press conference and I was sitting there with about 15 or 20 beat writers and nobody was saying anything. They were just staring at me. And all of a sudden, Jewish fellow over on the left side of me looks at me and says, Okay, Dave, so where is your God now? 
Where is your God now? And you know what, ladies and gentlemen? That's a profound question. When you're in the midst of the stuff that Tim is talking about, relationship, you know, job loss, foreclosures, family struggles, health issues, where is our God? And I looked at that reporter. I almost wanted to say thank you for yeah. asking the question. Thanks for opening the door. Because I looked at him and I said, my God hasn't gone anywhere. He's still right here in my heart. The only thing that's changed are my circumstances. And now, I will trust Him with what that looks like as we move forward. Not knowing what it was going to look like. Because we went into a deeper, darker valley. Right. Much right. deeper and much darker. It was more cancer. You and, know? and this guy wrote... Oh, the next, the next day. Next day in the sporting green of the San Francisco Chronicle front page. This is so cool. Starts off his article. There was a man named Job who lived in the land of us. And he started quoting from the book of Job. Yeah. I'm like, God, you are unbelievable. You will take something like this and you will get yourself on the front page of the sporting green. This is amazing. <laughs> So, you know, but then from there, obviously, I had to retire. Yeah. That fall, I announced my retirement right around Thanksgiving of 1989. 1990, um, cancer reoccurred not once but twice. More surgeries, radiation therapy, staph infection that lasted for 10 months. You talk about bad. That was worse than all the other stuff combined. I am sure. And, and, you know, during that period of time, ladies and gentlemen, I was really struggling inside. But I felt the weight and the pressure of, of the church to look presentable, to be, to wear the mask, yeah, yeah. and to look like every good Christian should look when they suffer. Right. Like this. Yeah. God bless you real good. Yeah. Praise Jesus for my cancer. And at that time, and we make fun of that, but I'm going to tell you what, folks. At that time, I had no desire whatsoever. Thank you. To do that kind of stuff. That's, I'm human, man. God made me human. He didn't create a robot. Right. That's and in my humanness, I was afraid. In my humanness, I doubted. In my humanness, I didn't want to read the Bible. In my humanness, I didn't want to go to God in prayer. In my humanness, I was mad. In my humanness, all these things were being stuffed because I was supposed to look, act, and talk a certain way and wear this mask. And I was so tired of wearing the mask. And finally, the doctors came to me and said, it's time to remove your left arm and shoulder. And I thought, man, if I can get this thing off my body, then all those problems are gone and I don't have to worry about faking it anymore. Mm -hmm. I understand that. You know, take the arm and, and I'm good to go. Yeah, well, we'll start over. And they took the arm and they took the shoulder. And for a while it was okay. But then all of a sudden that stuff started to percolate in here. Started to boil up. And the next thing you know, Dave starts getting really, really ugly. I became verbally abusive. And I took it out on my wife and children, the ones I love the most. And you know, I look back on that and I go, gosh, how wrong, how stupid were you to beat them up like you did? You know, I realized there's another form of abuse that can be just as damaging and that's the, that's the, the abuse of silence. Using silence to really ignore and shut your wife up or your husband up. 
And in the process, um, I was in a deep, dark place. And I was in the midst of an identity crisis, man. Oh, yeah. I mean, think this through for a second. Um, You're a guy. Your identity is wrapped up in what you do a lot more probably than you are if you're a woman. That's why it's harder for a guy to go through a a job loss situation in a lot of times emotionally than it is for a, for a, a woman. Uh, okay, imagine you're a baseball pitcher. All your life, you've been a baseball pitcher. You're a left-handed baseball pitcher in high school and college. You go from the 21st round to the All-Star game. What is anybody going to talk to you about when they meet you? What, what is anybody going to, you know, what's the subject of conversation? It's always, hey, Dave, how's your arm feeling today? How's your arm? How's your arm? Well, how's your arm feeling? You feeling good? I mean, it's not about you. You know, I mean, that's just the way guys are going to be most of, most of the time. Hey, how's your arm? Now, all of a sudden, there is no arm. Some of you are there. You had this thing, and now all of a sudden, it was your identity, and now it's been taken away from you. And he had to figure out how to replace that identity with the identity that he had in Jesus Christ. Yeah, that was a very difficult time for us. Um, one of the things that I... I realized um, in the midst of this, what I was doing to my wife was so horrible. I'll never forget, um, you know, she was crying out for help because she was trying to be everything to everybody during that time, by the way. Yeah. You know, she was a nurse. She was a wife. She was a mother. Sure. She was a counselor. She was everything. You know, she was taking care of all the needs. And on top of that, we had thousands of people mailing us their own stories. And she felt compelled to respond to them and thank them for their wishes and prayers. And then to respond by writing notes saying, we really appreciate your story, all this I'm like, man, this is going to kill us. And, and sure enough, she was going down. And the only problem was she kept crying out for help. And I'd look at her and she looked fine. I looked at me and there was something different. Yeah. I was the one with you the problem. You lost the arm. Yeah, I lost the arm. Struggling. You didn't lose anything. But she was in the midst of clinical depression crying out to go to a counselor. I got so tired of her whining that I literally went over to the phone, grabbed it off the wall, wound up in my best right, right-handed right delivery and threw the phone on the floor and it broke into a hundred pieces and I looked at her and I said, there, go call for your help now. And you know what, folks? Um, man, when I think about that, I am so ashamed. But God used that in a powerful way because Jan knew my heart. And as a result, we met two wonderful people, John Townsend, and Jim Dobson, who encouraged me to realize my wife was clinically depressed and needed help. Both psychologists. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, I will go and support you, but remember you're the one with the problem, not me. And so we go to counseling. And we start this counseling. And it just so happens that about three weeks into the counseling, I have my arm amputated. And now I'm the one that's sitting on the couch dealing with my identity crisis with the counselor and realizing that I'm just as depressed as she is. Mm. And the beautiful thing about all of that is when you're diagnosed clinically, obviously there are some resources that are available to us to help us. From a medical perspective, Mm -hmm. diagnosis of clinical depression means you get an antidepressant. Thank God for the development of Prozac. Amen. My wife and I call it vitamin P. 
<laughs> it is a wonderful drug that helps restore the, the chemical imbalance of the serotonin that's been depleted from your system. I really wanted him to say that because people sometimes come to me and, you know, well, I'm, I've got these issues. I just want God to heal them. And God will do that. I believe God can heal them. But I, if I have a heart problem, I'm going to go to a heart doctor. If you've got clinical depression, you should go to a, a psychologist. And sometimes you need medication. And uh, the serotonin levels in your brain are messed up. There's nothing wrong with doing that. And if you need help with your marriage, if you need help in your personal life, if you need help with anger, whatever's going on, you go to a counselor. That's what they're there for. I say that all the time. My wife and I have been multiple times through counseling. You can't just sit back and expect God to zap you with a lightning bolt and make everything better. He put these people in here for a reason. And that's what helped you. Yeah, you know, the beautiful thing about our journey was we spent 18 months in counseling together. I never realized how little I communicated. What an incredible revelation. I thought yeah. I was a good communicator. Yeah. Yeah. Holy smokes, was I lousy. But during 18 months, I learned how to communicate things to my wife that I would never have said before. Yeah. All of a sudden, good. what happened was our marriage just went ballistic off the charts. Yeah, blossomed. It was amazing. It blossomed so much. I thought, this is incredible. I went out and started telling every guy, go to counseling. Even if you've got any problems, go to counseling. Because you do have a problem. You don't know how to communicate. Every guy does not know how to communicate. So go and learn how to communicate. Ladies, go to counseling stop with clapping. your wife. Stop clapping. Okay? And then, 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 for, then my wife discovered Gary Oliver in Colorado, mm -hmm. in Denver, who wrote a book on anger. And so beautiful. She didn't say, you need to go. She said, you know what? We need to go see Gary. And let's go visit him and work with him with the anger stuff. And so for the next 12 months, I went to Gary and worked through that. 30, Tim, 30, 30 months. months of counseling. And I'm going to tell you what, baby, it's, it was good. Yeah, it was it hard. It was good. I am on the other side more healthy than yeah. I have yeah. ever been. Thank you. A, a marriage that I never thought I could have. Yeah. A love for my yeah. wife that I never dreamt I could have. I, I love my wife now more than I've ever loved her. And I didn't know that that was possible yeah. when we got married. I loved her so much then. And it is amazing what has happened as a result of that. And I'm still growing in that and learning because I still mess up. Yeah. Oh, go figure. I yeah. still mess up. Yeah. You know, I still make mistakes. So speak to the people out there that are trying to figure out their identity in in Christ, maybe yeah. for the first time, maybe coming back around. You know, one of the things that uh, that I learned is it's not what you do that matters most; it's who you are. And I had to learn the hard way through the pain and the suffering in the valley of life that who I am is all about relationship, and it starts with what happened in Amarillo, Texas, when I met Jesus. Mm. Ladies and gentlemen, <clears throat> can I encourage you with one thing today? If there's anything you walk away with from here, it's this. Don't ever forget what Jesus did for you on the cross if you're a follower of Christ in this room. Mm. Always remember, because that, I believe, is the foundation upon which you can build to heal from all the stuff that you are going through. But I also want to say this. There are people in this room who are in a sweet spot right now. Sure. You know, you know the people who are hurting. Guess what? We need each other. We cannot do this thing called life alone. Mm -hmm. And I am so thankful for the people that God brought into my life to help me realize just how precious my relationship with Jesus is and to get me up on my feet and begin to walk again. 
in that path of healing. And then God took care of all the other stuff. Mm. You know, He opened doors. He provided opportunities. And those things came, but the focus was on Him. And you know what's really cool? It's not what you do that matters most. It's who you are. But when you get who you are, it will affect everything you do. Sure. It will affect everything you do. And that's the cool thing about journeying with God. And God didn't love you any more when you were an all-star than He did when you were throwing the phone down on the floor in anger. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's, and, and I appreciate the fact that you've brought this up again because there's a wonderful statement that I read in a book called The Cure. And, and these, these two pastors write where they say, you know, on our worst day, on our worst day, does Jesus love us any less than He already does? On your worst day, on my worst day, when I was cussing out my wife, He loved me any less. Did He? No. Tell me. No, he no. did not. No. He still died on the cross for you. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's the message of grace. That's the message of His love. And that's all we need to get back up on our feet and begin to move forward and move closer towards Him. Leaning into Him is a beautiful picture. Yeah. Lean into God when the yeah, stuff yeah. gets tough. Lean into God because... He's there. His love doesn't change. He cares deeply for you. And He wants to be there to walk you through this process, whatever that process looks like. We're going to close out by... Uh, he's going to read, uh, recite his uh, favorite scripture, one that's kind of ministered to him a lot, and let you read that on the screen. And then we're going to just sit here while the band comes out and does a very meaningful song. kind of has to do with this whole topic and now. Sometimes life doesn't turn out like we want, but maybe God has, has a purpose through that. Um, let's read in the Scripture, and then we'll, then we'll do it. Um, the passage is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, and it says this, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You know, folks, the most powerful thing in all of this is knowing that this is not my home. My home is in what I can't see. That's where it's at out there somewhere. But what I understand by focusing on that is that what I can see I can now live in a place where God wants me to live because of the unseen. It changes my world by viewing on that that I can't see. And that's a beautiful thing. All right. Let's listen. It's hard for me to listen to because I know the circumstances that some of you are going through and it's hard to recognize them as blessings. And that's why I asked Dave to come in. And what I'm going to do to close this out before we do communion is is to have Dave pray for you. Because uh, one way or another, whether life is good, it's probably not been better than pitching in the World Series or the All-Star Game. And if bad, if, if life is bad, it's probably not any worse than getting the cancer diagnosis. And this is a guy that's been through it all. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just going to ask you to pray for these people before we close It'd out. It would be a privilege to do that. Um, as we do, um, could you do me a favor? Uh, one of the things I think is so powerful is realizing the significance of community and the fact that we need each other. Mm-hmm. You know, and we can't do this thing called life alone. And 
You know, and as we go before God, um, why don't we just hold hands where you're sitting, grab the person next to you, and, and uh, let's just go to him in prayer and uh, see where he leads that with this guy who doesn't know how to wax eloquently. <laughs> Father, we thank you so much um, as we listen to the words of that song. Uh, we resonate with the reality that um, your mercies are new every day, every morning. We resonate with the reality that in the midst of our storms, the storms that are represented in this room, um, the good experiences that are represented in this room, and uh, some of the ugliness that's represented in this room, you are in the midst of all of it. Because you love us. And it's so wonderful to know that even on our worst day, you love us. Because in understanding that, Father, you give us hope through that incredible gift of grace that allows us to realize as we hold each other's hands, we can be Jesus with skin on to each other. We can extend that grace that God has extended to us to each other. And we thank you for that. As we think about um, the struggles that we all face in life um, and the deep needs that are in this room, especially over this weekend of Thanksgiving, Father, we want to be mindful of the incredible gift that can provide the strength and the courage and the hope and the comfort that we all need through your Son, Jesus, as we give thanks, even in the tough stuff. Father, I thank you for this church, your church. I thank you for this man sitting next to me and for his heart for your people. And I ask that you would continue to bless them, that you would continue to cause your face to shine upon them. And as you do that, God, that um, you would have a smile on your face as you watch your people go about doing your work. And Lord, it is a privilege to be a part of your family. And today, all of us that know you want to thank you that we're your kids. But there are some people in this room uh, this afternoon that don't know you, that are seeking, and uh, they're ready to take that step. So Lord, I just ask that you would impress upon their hearts. Um, to simply in the quietness of that place they sit in right now to say, Jesus, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And I ask you to come into my heart and live. I'm, I'm amazed that on my worst day, you love me. And I embrace that love now and ask that you would give me the strength to live for you the rest of my life. And Father, for all of us, as we walk away from this place, I just trust that each and every day, as we worship through our lives, that it would draw us closer to your heart. And as a result, this community right here in the neighborhoods represented would be touched because of the people sitting here in this room that love you would be touched for an eternity and this community would literally be changed. And we just lift these things up to you now in the precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Will you thank Dave for me? What a great deal, man. You may be seated. Listen, listen to me.
I, uh, what he said there kind of struck a nerve. I am a dad, as you know. Um, Thanksgiving was awesome because I got to have my daughter home from L.A., who I've missed very terribly. And I got to have my daughter and son-in-law home from Nashville, which is awesome. Um, but as a dad, as great as it is to have two-thirds of my children home, there was one place that was missing, uh, my daughter who's in Bolivia, and she'll be home soon. But my point is, our Heavenly Father has lots of children, billions of children. But when you're not home, He misses you. If you are one of those people that hasn't been home with Dad for a while, I can tell you, He misses you and He wants you there. We're going to have communion right now. If you just prayed that prayer with Dave, I hope that you will open up your heart to Jesus and say, Thank you, Jesus. I'm in. I want to be. I, thank you, God. I'm coming home. I'm here. I'm the prodigal. I'm home. I'm going to take communion. I'm going to symbolize what I've just, this is a decision that I've made. Fill out that card. Let us know how we can minister to you. There's a prayer room right outside that door. Whatever we need to help you with, please let us do it because I guarantee you he wants you home. The other thing I want to say <clears throat> as we do communion is that um, as we do offering in just a moment, it will be uh, an opportunity for you to put in a cannonball card. And I want to tell you one more time how important this is that everybody gets all in. And it's not because of any other reason but the fact that God still has children who aren't home. And we're going to do everything we can to bring them back. So we're going to give you a time to reflect during communion and uh, fill out a card. We're going to give you time to reflect and think about what Jesus has done for you and what he asks of us could not be anything compared to what he gave us. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you be with us as we, uh, as we commune with you right now. Jesus, as we remember the great sacrifice you made for us on the cross of your body and your blood. And we thank you that you did that for us so that we could be home. And I thank you that I get to be at home with my father forever and ever. And I thank you that my daughters got to, most of my daughters got to be home with me for Thanksgiving. But just that one simple little empty place at the table helps me to realize how important it is that we get everybody back home. Well, if there are people in this room that are thinking about coming home, Lord, do what you got to do to help them to understand how much you love them. And uh, for those who are just coming back, Lord, we give you great thanks. And for all the things that you do for us, sometimes your blessings come through raindrops, but we this weekend, we are going to give you thanks. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen.